And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie, and we're here to take you on an intersectional feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read it but you can't forget, we've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious talking about your new favorite reads. Hello, I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. Yes, today we are doing one of our bite-sized bits through the ages episodes, and I'm going to lead it this time. Not Maggie's, or it's very exciting. We'll see how messy it gets. We are talking today about the first female superheroes. And I say superheroes because we have one first female crime fighter, and then we have like the first female actual person with powers. And they came out actually in 1940 within a month of each other. So that's where we're at. We're talking about Fantoma and the lady in red. Or is it the woman in red? I think it's the lady in red. Let's see. Yeah, the lady in red. The lady in red. That's right. All right. So let's see. So for context, just so everyone knows, the first superhero, like comic book superhero came out in about 19... I wrote 1934, and I think that's right. And I will post links for references for that. And then also in 1937, even though this person isn't considered the first female superhero, we also got this character named Sheena, who was a woman and she used a lot of weaponry and she was called queen of the jungle and she went on to become the first female comic protagonist so a few years after in 1940 we got our first female superhero and her name was fantoma and she is fucking weird did you read the (laughs) notes i had max she is really weird she's like real weird Somebody's acid trip. I don't even think acid was invented back then. I don't know, but it's weird. Uh, Fantoma first appeared a month before the other lady we're talking about, Lady in Red. And she was a mystery woman of the jungle of, of Africa. And she's a white blonde bombshell, which is strange because this is just like the jungle, the setting of the comic book. And she's in Africa and I guess that she's like the guardian of the jungle, but she's white. So I don't, I don't understand that. She can transform herself into a floating skull. That's like one of her big powers. And she just kind of like watches the jungle. And when people come and try and take over the jungle, like poachers or people who are treating the natives wrongly, she appears as a floating skull and she's like, Hey, you got to stop doing that. And then these villains, they go on and kill a bunch of people. And then she like enacts her revenge. And apparently she has like unlimited powers and can just kind of like poof these people into different things. So she's not merciful with punishment. And I actually, I have a quote here from Comic Vine, which is where I got a lot of my information for this episode. So one of the instances in which she is dealing with these bad guys, she transforms a band of greedy diamond miners who oppress the natives into one man then sends that man to an unfound world to be enslaved by hideous green fanged monsters. Then she sends that man into a pit of cobras. And then the man is absorbed into a wall by a giant hand. Maybe the guy was on shrooms. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like really wild. Um, yeah. So I don't know. She's like this weird goddess lady and she's hot and she's blonde and 
It's very strange. And eventually they took her comic and they were like, they fired the guy who originally created her and they brought someone new in and she turned into like a more human-like character who didn't have godlike powers, but still had undefined mystical powers. And people were like, not into it at all. And then she discovered that she was the Pharaoh's daughter, some sort of Pharaoh had lived in Africa in the jungle and she became the queen of this secret civilization and people were also not into that. And so then her comic series was canceled in 1944 and that's basically Fantoma. So Maggie, what are your impressions of this person? (laughs) I mean, first of all, you can't downgrade a superhero. You can't start (laughs) at godlike powers and then downgrade and think that people are going to be chill with that you know (laughs) i think that was a poor marketing move second of all it's just like white savior white guilt all over the place right like just totally problematic in that sense third of all (laughs) she sounds cool as fuck outside of that context Yeah, it's very strange. I wasn't alive for the 1940s, so I don't know what the fuck was going on in the global consciousness that made this like a fun, popular thing. I guess I did read somewhere on one of the comic sites that like jungle tales were really popular. So maybe there was some sort of like colonialization aspect there that people were really happy about. It actually reminded me just a little bit like of some weird slightly more positive like joseph conrad heart of darkness vibes (laughs) like if the heart of darkness was supposed to be like an apology i feel like this is the route it would have (laughs) gone oh gosh yeah maybe do do i barely remember heart of darkness but heart of darkness doesn't get this weird right there's not as many there's no mysticism It's not as mystical, but it is based entirely in the jungle, and it's essentially about the fact that, like, Conrad viewed Africans as being, like, you know, beast-like and animalistic and and very, like, so it it reads to me as, like, the apology for this mentality. Yeah, I did, through my research, get to see, like, blips of little comic book strips in which Fantoma was in. I don't think there were any brown people. There were, like, maybe some more tan people. But I don't know what was going on there either. I mean, this was taken, this happened during a time in which we still had like Jim Crow laws. And it wasn't like the civil rights rights movement wasn't up and running at this point. So I don't, I don't know why they completely erased Africa. (laughs) They were like, oh, it's Africa, but it's not really Africa. It's just all white people. Yeah, I mean. I think my favorite part, though, is that she's a floating skull. Like, that really just... Yeah, so she's hot. She's hot. And then, like, when she wants to scare people, she turns into a floating skull. And then I guess later, because here's the thing. Comic books, they don't... They're never really consistent. Like, the characters kind of just transform into different characters. But, like, a later iteration of her, just, like, when she wanted to become scary, just became, like, this blue monster with a skull head. (laughs) (laughs) but her blonde curls were still intact interesting you know that actually really 
intrigues me a little bit from a feminist lens, just because especially at this time, there were such traditional ideas about the roles that women should fill as like homemakers and being gentle and mothers and like fertility and things like that. And then when this woman wants to be scary, she becomes the polar opposite of fertility, right? Like she becomes a floating death symbol. So I I actually think that's like genuinely kind of interesting even though it's also extraordinarily strange to think about. <laughs> that is really interesting. I didn't think about that. And there that's interesting too, because comic book people love um, you know, like ancient myths. And there are a lot of goddesses out there who are both known for death and creation. So maybe they were like recognizing that. Oh, I was just gonna say it's like very Persephone, you know? Oh, yeah. Fertility goddess goddess of spring, but like the queen of the underworld. Yeah. And it was also interesting to me that she does, like, have such harsh um, punishments because, like, and all of the heroes that we know today, most of them are against killing, period. I don't know if it was Mm -hmm. different in the 1940s, but she's, like, very vengeful, which is also pretty goddess-like. It is, yeah. I mean, that punishment is really intense. I feel like the psychological scars of going from being six people to one people (laughs) <laughs> Almost would would have been enough, you know. <laughs> we just we just kept going. I mean, I think the the best part is that they just become part of the wall, like <laughs> something that you have in the notes though that you didn't mention is that she didn't just like jump straight to intense punishment. Like there was warnings and things first, even though she wasn't necessarily a merciful person. So she was very much like a fool me once shame on you sort of situation, but fool me twice and I'm a fuck you up. Yeah. But during the warnings, okay. So she's supposed to know everything that's going on, but like she warns people and then they go on and kill a bunch of people and she doesn't do anything until after they're done killing people. So I don't, I don't know, but I guess that is kind of like another parallel to a godlike figure because she's not yeah. affecting their will or anything. She's letting them do the bad thing and then she's like, you must be punished. Yeah, you must be punished. You're right, though, that that's very different from how we think about superheroes today. Like, And again, as, as we've discovered through this month-long journey through comics, my familiarity with superheroes is pretty limited to the biggest Marvel movies. But I feel like even in those movies, right, like, there's no punishment meted out. It's just like this fight between good and evil and good wins. You know, that's it. Yeah. And the evil is vanquished, but there's no like punishment for doing, doing wrong, except for no longer existing, I guess. But like, it's such a long and drawn out battle that it's not, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't read the same. Yeah, I agree. Cause I think that when we get into vengeance, the morality becomes more blurry and superheroes typically, I mean, with the exception of some anti-heroes, but like typically when we search for superhero stories, we want somebody who is the beacon of morality. So this woman is like being vengeful to a whole other point and really it seems taking pleasure in it, but we don't really know because there's no other character development. <laughs> and that's not necessarily like a beacon of morality. So it is, it is interesting. I also wanted to ask you like, I don't know. What do you think about the fact that our first female superhero doesn't really get that much of a personality? Like, what are your thoughts on that? She's a mystery woman. So we're not supposed to know about uh, a lot about her. 
like it's a little bit of lazy writing. You know, I feel I feel like whenever I see that trope, when that character isn't actually developed, it always just kind of feels like a cop out to me. You know, like a oh, we just didn't want to actually put in the work to give this lady. While that trope can be employed with anyone, I do feel like it does happen to be employed with women more often, and it just always feels frustrating and lazy. Although I am in this case kind of interested. And it's okay if you don't know the answer to this off the top of your head, but, like, do you know how many issues she got with the original creator before they, like, shifted things? Or, because I'm just curious if there if it was potentially one of those things where it's, like, there wasn't a ton of time for things to be developed and then they switched everything. Or if the first guy really had a lot of time to develop things and just decided not to, you know? Well, I think this is kind of, he apparently has other superheroes that are very similar to her. So I think this is just kind of his writing style. Let's see. Okay. When Toma, blah, 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 and found world to be enslaved, green, besides org who controlled, Fantoma was created by Fletcher Hanks. Actually, I don't know. That's okay. I don't know. A lot of this information I got from a YouTube video. I'm not going to lie. Fair enough. So. You know, you got to use what sources are available to you. I also wanted to ask you about her unlimited power. Do we feel like that's empowering for our first female superhero? Or do we also think that that's kind of lazy writing and maybe fits not to like, not to push you into any sort of answer, but like, I feel like it could also maybe fit the like strong woman trope, which maybe wasn't a trope back then though. Yeah. I think that's kind of hard to answer just because I don't know a ton about the like other tropes for women at the time, besides being kind of like house warming home givers you know um so i think it's possible that like it isn't the strong woman trope because i i don't i can't think of an example off the top of my head that would really fit into that i kind of enjoy the fact that she has unlimited power a little bit just because it feels very it feels to a certain extent very like this per- this is a person who can do anything. But on the other hand, it also does feel a little bit like lazy writing, just because it's like, we're not even putting parameters on what's happening here. So anything's fair game, so it can get as ridiculous as possible. So like, I don't know that I'm disempowered by the fact that she has unlimited power, but I also don't know if as a reader, it's something I would have appreciated either, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I was wondering if, like, the humanoid version was, I don't know. I guess it's hard because we didn't read the text. But, like, I wonder if that could have been an even more positive depiction because it was more realistic. Versus the godlike. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that's fair. I do think, though, again, going back, the joke that I, the point that I made jokingly earlier about the fact that you can't downgrade a superhero, I do think that's kind of true, though, on a more serious note, is that when you're given certain character expectations, even if they're bad ones, and then those expectations change in a way that feels like a downgrade, like, I understand why audiences didn't respond to that positively. I think that it just would have been better if she was a more realistic, more humanoid character the whole time, you know? Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's move on to the lady in red. Before we talk about her, though, I just want listeners to be aware of the fact that the U.S. joined World War II 
1941. So we're in 1940, and this is before women have gone to work in the factories and stuff and have, like, really stepped up into male roles. So I do think it's interesting that we're talking about two female superheroes who aren't living the housewife life because I think it shows... I think it shows a different place for women in in this time period than we usually think of them. And I think had World War II not happened and had men not come home, like women would have been in a better spot. And they may have already been going towards this period in which they were going to step up and take all of these men's jobs before the World War II. But I don't know, because I'm not a historian. Okay. So <laughs> our second our second superhero is called the Lady in Red. And she appeared in 1940, a month after Fantoma appeared. And let me find my notes about her. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the woman in red. We've been saying it wrong. But anyway, she appeared in 1940. And she was actually a police officer, a police detective named Peggy Allen. So this is interesting because the first female police officer, which I didn't know before, uh, was hired in 1910 in her in L.A. And her name was Alicia Sevens Wells. Because I I looked at this and I was like, wow, it's really, it seems unrealistic to me that we had a woman police detective in the comic books because that probably wasn't going on. But apparently it had been going on since 1910. So that's pretty badass. So Alan became a crime fighter because she didn't like that criminals kept on getting away from law enforcement. And so she would dress up in this disguise and it was like a red cloak and a mask. And it was a really long, like, red dress. So you couldn't really see much. It wasn't very sexual. Um at least through my modern lens. And uh, she would go investigate crime scenes. And to do this, she would also usually dress up like a nurse or an actress or a student or something and gather clues. And then once she had all of her clues, she would like don her woman in red costume and then strike and be like, go away, villain. Um, Unfortunately, she wasn't very physically strong. And she was okay with her weapon, her gun, but that was like really her only big crime fighting thing. And so a lot of the time she would try and fight these villains and then end up in danger. But then she would get lucky. She would like, you know, fall out of a a building and then like grab the branch, a tree branch or something so that she wouldn't fall to the ground. And she had a lot of help from her police officer friends and like various other people she would meet on her adventures and they would help her apprehend the criminal. So that's the woman in red, and that's her original version. And eventually, she lasted in a few different iterations. She had, eventually, she went on to, like, what is known as the strong state. So she kind of essentially became a different character, where she was, like, still the woman in red, but her personality completely changed. And she was, like, very straightforward and tough and competent. And she had a really bad relationship with the rest of the police officers. And during this time, she also had a male rival who she had in her previous state before. But in her previous state, the male rival would, like, swoop out of nowhere and come and save her. And she kind of had, like, an okay relationship with him. But in her strong state, the male rival, the male rival detective would come and like bundle things up because he was too stupid and not competent enough to handle it. And she also was more resilient and like able to physically fight the criminals a little bit more in her strong state. Her costume became more revealing as she entered into this strong state. And then like later iterations brought her back to her weaker state, which is 
what her original state was and I guess like her original personality in which she's like amicable and friendly to everyone, but not as competent. Um, so Ms. Maggie. Oh, and apparently I didn't write this in our notes, but apparently there are later depictions of her in which she like touches a red ruby and then gets superpowers, but it also changes the color of her skin. And so then she's like an actual red woman. And then, yeah, she's apparently really self-conscious about it at first, but then she becomes less self-conscious about it and her outfit gets more revealing. There's a a lot to unpack here. Um, It's interesting that in a lot of ways she's like the polar opposite of the superhero we just talked about, especially because they came out like a month apart. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I appreciate at first, like when I was reading about her before I realized that there was like both a quote unquote strong state and weak state, which is what the comic by an article physically categorized it as. Before, I was like, oh, it's kind of nice that, like, she's just a regular person who can't just, like, punch away criminals. But then when you compare it to her stronger state and when she's more competent, it really does become, like, it becomes more difficult for me. <laughs> I agree. It feels, I, it makes the weak state, quote unquote, feel very pandering. I, I think for me, in a way that uh, Phantoma didn't feel quite as pandering, and it I don't know. That's kind of, I guess, my read here is it's very like, okay, well, like, women can do this job, but, like, probably not as well as a man could, and she needs to be very collaborative, and, like, the thing she is good at, like, actually putting together clues and solving the crimes is stuff that, like, sure requires great mental strength and stuff, but has to make her, like, downplay her physical strength, and, like, it just doesn't... I think for me, in comparison... It feels less empowering than the last person we just talked about, even though she wasn't perfect either. Yeah, I agree. I think I think if we hadn't learned about the strong state and if I hadn't known that her male rival has to come in and save her all the fucking time, like I would have read this and been like, oh, this is great. Because I think that as a society, we don't um, we, we really undervalue collaboration and mental strength and acuity. And it would be great to see a superhero who does mostly rely on that. Yeah. But given the context that it was the 1940s and that she does have a stronger counterpart, like a, a stronger dimension to her, her story arc, it really does seem like it's a, yeah, women just aren't as capable sort of thing. What do you think about the fact that the more capable she gets... And, like, more seemingly empowered, the less clothing she wears. (laughs) It just seems to me like a very antiquated relationship that, like, more confidence and more competency means that you also must be more promiscuous or something like that. Or, you know, and makes it seem almost, I don't know, maybe this is me reading too far into it as as a modern reader, but it makes it almost seem more like a bad thing you know like yeah you can do all of these things but like are you still you know like have you become a fallen woman or something like that you know but then at the same time there are lots of women who do feel really confident and when they feel that confidence do decide to wear you know more revealing clothes quote unquote or stuff like that i just doubt that was the intention of what was happening while creating her you know (laughs) like yeah i almost wonder if it was like well we can't write about a woman and not give men like boobs to look at (laughs) 
We can't write about a strong woman who's better at her job than they are and not give them boobs to look at. That's fair. So, like, maybe it's less threatening if at least I can be like, well, at least she's hot. She's yeah. competent and hot. <laughs> yeah. That's hot. that's my take on the situation, at least. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's cool to think that, like, in the 1940s, we we did have a character who was a career woman. And regardless of her state, was doing jobs that the police weren't doing. She feels very, in like a nice way to a certain extent, like the precursor to Scooby-Doo almost, you know, with the like running around and finding clues and like the costumes and dressing up and stuff. And then, uh, you know, like revealing the villain and being like, be gone, you know. I like I like so much of her. It's just like you were saying with the context of the fact that her like male rival has to save her and stuff and making her seem less competent in her weak state. Like it just falls short for me because of those things as a concept. Yeah, me too. But I do want to talk about the fact that she was a working woman in the 1940s. Like, what did you think about that? Because that was really surprising to me. It didn't surprise me that, like, she was a working woman in the 1940s. I mean, to go back to your initial point about World War II and stuff, that definitely was a major time when women started working more in traditionally men's roles. But we also have to remember that the United States is coming out of the Great Depression. So gender roles are already starting to change at this time. So it didn't greatly surprised me it did surprise me a little bit that she was a cop and i also didn't know that the first female police officer was hired in 1910 so that i found really interesting but i do think it is admirable to show i'm sorry the dog is losing her shit upstairs (laughs) to show a woman almost in any context at this time not you know just being a homemaker again and i feel like every time i say that it makes it sound like i'm disparaging homemakers and i'm not especially in 2020 like you should be able to live your life how you want to live it it's more just that given the time period and the fact that the default was being a homemaker it's cool for me to see the fact that like not all pop culture was ascribing to that and was showing women in more traditionally masculine roles you know Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, do we have anything else we want to say about Peggy Allen? You had one more question. I can ask you. Yeah, why don't you ask me a question? Harmony, does Peggy Allen's lack of physical strength disempower her, or does it make it more her more realistic? So I think it makes her more realistic, because even in her strong state, she still didn't always win. And I find that really empowering, because I think that... The important thing was that she was still resilient. And even in her weak state, like, yes, she was lucky and people came in to save her. But, like, she never stopped doing what she was doing, even though she could have failed and did almost fail all the fucking time. So, yeah, I like that she was not necessarily, like, a superhero and that she didn't always just, like, kick ass and take names. Because I think that that's good for people to see. And I think that superhero stories are supposed to be all about hope and doing the right thing. And I think that that makes her a stronger role model. I actually really agree with you, especially given the point that you made earlier about the fact that like mental acuity is really um, important. And also, I think, tends to be undervalued in many of these stories. Um, even with like our more contemporary superheroes, like even the really smart guys like Bruce Banner and Tony Stark, you know, like a both of those examples are men, but b 
they're paired with intense physical strength. Bruce, when he becomes the Hulk and Tony, when he puts on the Iron Man suit, like there isn't really in my mind, a superhero I can think of who that is just based solely on the fact that they're smart as shit, you know? So I like that idea. The fact that like her superpower here is the fact that she is smart and she is putting together these clues. Yeah. There are superheroes, I know, at least in the modern Marvel world, there's, like, Ms. Moon or something like that. Like, I don't know. I forget what her name is, but there's a fairly recent superhero who's, like, a genius third grader, and she might have a pet dinosaur, or I might be conflating superheroes. But, like, that is something I think that exists in comics and has been more pushed, at least. Very interesting. As I've said, this is not my this is not my forte. I'm really just thinking like the big like the really big Marvel movies, you know. Yeah. And we're talking too, like today because we're talking 1940, we're talking about the golden age of comics. So I don't think that really did I think the golden age of comics is significantly less nuanced than comics have become and I really don't think that was a big deal especially back then. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I also wanted to talk about a woman who came after these two ladies, because a year later, after we met these two first female superheroes slash crime fighters, we got Wonder Woman. And that was in 1941. I'm not sure if it happened before or after we entered the war, but we did enter the war in 1941. So that's interesting. And she was created because they wanted another feminine superhero to be like a big name. And she was supposed to be, the the male creator of her was, like, really inspired by the suffragettes movement. So she was, like, very blatantly in her original comic strips being like, hey, we need to take down the patriarchy. And you ladies, like, can't give in to the patriarchy and shit like that. But she was also meant to fight for democracy. Thus her, like, red and blue and white uh, uh, suit and equal rights for women. There are a bunch of different iterations of Wonder Woman because she's so fucking old Um, because she started in 1941. But essentially, the main gist of her is that, like, she was a princess in the Amazons and she lived in matriarchal society. And a man comes along. His name is Steve Trevor. And he's like, yo, we really need you to help us spread the mission of peace. And she goes along with him to live in a man's world and spread peace everywhere. And it's also interesting, too, I didn't write notes about this, but, like, Wonder Woman's big thing throughout the years has been, like, love and unity and peace. Like, that is how she fights. So it's a lot of really traditional feminine stereotypes, but she is, like, goddess-like in the way that Fantoma is, although she does have, like, limits to her powers. And she is a superhero, and she's super strong, and she's usually dressed pretty revealingly. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that, Megs? Do you think there's, like, any similarities or anything? I It's kind of hard because, and I know that this is going to be a scandalous comment, but the only actual exposure I have to Wonder Woman is from her most recent movie where she was played by Gal Gadot, which was a movie I really enjoyed, but that's literally <laughs> the only thing I have ever seen Wonder Woman in or, like, been exposed to besides just generally knowing that she exists. So, yeah. Even though she's a great cultural icon and stuff, it's kind of hard for me to think about similarities outside of what you've sort of already outlined because 
while I'm sure that most people are more familiar with Wonder Woman than that, I'm really not. <laughs> I don't think most people of our generation are, though. Like, I only know her from, like, a few DC shows that I may have caught as a child or, like, watching Batman or something. I think people in, like, my mother's generation are really familiar with Wonder Woman because they had a TV show with her in it. Mm. But I think most of our exposure is the new movie. And my understanding is that the new movie is fairly accurate to her, like, to some of her story plots, at least. Yeah. I do think it's interesting if we're talking about similarities, I feel like in many ways she took the things that I liked about Fantoma and the things that I liked about the woman in red and put them together because she's got this intense power, but I think she is a lot more realistic um, as a role model in general. Like, even though she's still a superhero and stuff, I feel like the things that she fights for are very, you know, they're like human rights things besides the whole like fighting for democracy thing. That's, that's, that's a whole other situation. But like, generally speaking, you know, I think she's, I think she's pretty relatable and identifiable in a way that Fantoma isn't, but I would say for me is probably a character that I would enjoy more in her original, like if I were to take a guess, she, I'd probably enjoy her original comics more than I would like the woman in red original ones. That's probably fair. I think that they were probably better plotted out too, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Which is maybe why she's lasted so long. It's true. She really, she really has had the staying power for, I'm trying to think of other superheroes I know that came out like around this time in the golden age. Like I know Captain America was thought of in this time. Like there aren't that many that have actually withstood the test of like all of these decades. And she's one of them. She is one of them. Yeah. I looked it up and apparently Superman and Batman both predated her a few years, but yeah, she has had staying power. I think it's a little sad that like, she's the only female superhero. I mean, I think it's better now, but like when I think of female superheroes, like Wonder Woman is the one that comes up and the other female superheroes that I can think of that are popular right now came out later. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, some of the only ones I can think of are like, uh, what's her name? ScarJo plays her. The Black Widow and stuff like yeah. that. And even then, that's kind of different because, like, the Black Widow is, she doesn't have superpowers, you know? She's, like, this cool-ass assassin, which is interesting, but not, it's not the same. Yeah, and I'm not a comic book expert or anything, but I don't think that we would have as much name recognition regarding Black Widow had it not been for the Marvel movies and the fact that Scarlett Johansson plays her and is super yeah. hot. I think that is a big reason why people now appreciate her. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think also similarly with like Miss Marvel and Captain Marvel, like I think that the new comics for those, excuse me, as well as the new movies about Captain Marvel have also really helped with name recognition. I had never heard of Captain Marvel before the movie came out. So, and again, I mean, I'm not the litmus test here, but still, you know, I had heard of even if I didn't know a lot about her, I've known who Wonder Woman was and that she existed since I was a kid. Yeah, because she's a cultural icon. And I guess it is because she was like the feminist icon and has been the feminist icon since 1941. Although there are some problematic aspects to her depiction is my understanding. Yeah, for sure. 
But I wanted to ask you what you think of the fact that, like, a man, and we won't get into it in the podcast because I'm not super knowledgeable about it, but I have heard some, like, questionable things about this man, (laughs) that a man was the person who created her and that he created her to be a feminist icon. Like, do we think that's a positive thing or... I don't know. I mean, I think, like, given knowing absolutely nothing about who he was at all. Um, I think that given the fact that like the time period and stuff, the most empowering thing probably would have been a woman writing about her. But I do think there is something worthwhile about a man identifying in a male dominated world that women do need like feminist icons to look up to and being willing to write her into existence specifically to be a feminist icon. Like, I don't think that's disempowering at all. I just do kind of, it, it just would have been cooler, I think, if she was created and written by a woman, you know? Yeah. And all of the superheroes that we've talked about today were created by men. Yeah. Which is interesting, considering the fact that we had female police officers, but I don't, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know why that was. Yeah. Very strange. Okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of superhero ladies? I think that's all I got. Those are all my notes. Yeah, I think that's all I've got, too. I don't know. I just, I'm I'm very intrigued now to, I think, maybe go and learn, especially about Fantoma, a little bit more about what she was up to. I didn't realize, I mean, I just think it's really interesting that both of the first two came out within like a month of each other. You know, I think it's interesting, especially with comics to be able to track these like larger cultural shifts in a way that I feel a little bit like traditional literature doesn't always partially because comics come out so much faster and stuff. I feel like they're so on the nose about like what's going on that it's, it's really interesting to me to like see these shifts brewing, you know, starting in the mid 1930s and then moving forward. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not an expert on any of this, but I feel like in the way that sci-fi is sometimes more progressive than traditional literature, like any sort of genre thing, comics surprised me in their progressiveness. And it is really interesting because even today we have a problem where most comic book writers are men and white men at that. So they are more progressive, it it seems. And I think that they're they're depicting things that are more progressive than society at the time periods necessarily like is at. Yeah. But we still don't have equal representation. I'm not just saying, like, we as in Maggie and I, white woman, like, we as in the general populace, like, we still don't have enough um, different voices. Yeah. Within these comics. For sure. Yes. Maggie, do you want to do any homework today on our bite size bits? I don't know if we do that for this this segment. This. <laughs> Yeah, I think we I think we have been. I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, with what's going on in the world, I feel like it's kind of hard to make homework except for like, please, everyone, if you can practice as much social distancing as possible. Especially people our age, like especially millennials, stop fucking going out. I don't care if your city has banned it. The fact that you've been going out at all is not cool. Stop traveling. Stop doing it. Sorry. Continue, Maggie. Yeah, I'm with you. So that's really just kind of my, like, I think personal homework right now is I've been stuck in my house for many weeks at this point, and I think I'm just trying to keep up the mental fortitude to keep going on this front, you know? I need to be resilient like the woman in red. What about you? Do you have homework? 
Um, I, <laughs> I am going to try and study more women in history and see what we were up to because I think that history and just like we we have this general perception that people who were disenfranchised just weren't doing shit because we don't hear about it as much because they're like we're not allowing different voices into the fold into our societal fold or our historical fold um and so I would just like to like figure that out because I know that people are doing shit. I know that disenfranchised people have been doing shit since the very beginning, even if not as many people are talking about it. What are you reading? I'm reading the same uh, book that I was reading before, Guinevere, Queen of the Summer Country. And I'm also audiobooking. It's called Shop of Little Found Things or something like that. Here, I can bring it up. What are you reading, Maggie? I'm also reading, I think, some of the same stuff as I was last time. I'm reading Iron Gold by Pierce Brown, and I'm reading Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. I found it really difficult to concentrate on writing, on reading, just like one thing from start to finish. And I've always kind of been the sort of person that has multiple stuff going at the same time. But usually even then I finish things at a much faster rate than I am right now, which is odd because I've never had more free time on my hands. So like, I don't really know what's happening there, but I'm feeling a little stuck. And it's not because the books I'm reading are bad either. Like I'm enjoying both of them. I'm just, well, enjoying is the wrong word for Barracoon, but I'm happy I'm reading both of them. And I just, I can't get through shit, you know? I don't know what's happening to me. I get that. I mean, I have that all the time. I think it's probably maybe an anxiety symptom because, like, even though I don't physically feel anxious or think I'm anxious in my brain, I think all of this uh, stuff going on in the world right now is making everyone anxious. Yeah, I found my book title. Yay! <laughs> yeah. It's The Little Shop of Found Things by Paula Braxton, and I'm listening to it through Libby, which is an app that Maggie told me about a while ago. It is a app that allows you to connect to your local library, and you can access all of their audiobooks and all of their digital books, and you can get it for free. So you guys yeah. should all be doing that during COVID. Not sponsored, but it is a really great app. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It seems like a nonprofit thing. I don't know, but it is cool. Everyone should be doing that. Also, take classes for free if you can. People are offering free classes all the time. Yeah, man. Don't just stagnate because that's bad for you mentally for the most part. All right. We'll see you next week when we're, when we're talking about Harley Quinn and Power Girl. Oh, is that what we're talking about? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're talking about. And then we will be, we were going to go on a break after that. But after that, we're going to be delivering you a special uh, episode with some lovely ladies that we interviewed. And it's our first real professional interview. So you guys should get excited. Yeah, for sure. See you all next week. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.